This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Covered in Pet Hair, a boozy web show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a force-free dog trainer. I'll tell you all about her and introduce you as soon as we come back from these messages from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink with a dog trainer, a pet sitter, a pet photographer, dog person through and through. She's a tea traditionalist and a videographer. She's roommates with a wildlife biologist named Dave and his dog named Sophie, which we're going to talk about. She's an Oregonian born and raised. She's Elise McGlone, and she's owner of Rogue Valley Dog Training in Oregon. Welcome, Elise. It's so good to have you on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to get to know you. But before I do, anybody participating in our drinking game today, anytime you hear this word, the secret word is Sophie. Make sure you take a drink of whatever you're enjoying but you better be 21 and over before you partake. Make sure you're not drinking and driving and always drink responsibly. So what are you drinking, Elise? So I am drinking what I call the Barnold Palmer. Uh, It's a lemonade drink uh, with a little bit of sweet tea vodka and then a little bit of peach schnapps. And it's the perfect summer drink. Oh my gosh. So I have peach schnapps. I need to uh, pick up some of that... uh, Sweet tea vodka, which I've had in the past and is delicious. And I'm going to ask yeah. you for the recipe so that I can make a picture of that. Oh this my gosh, summer. it's so good. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm also having a very refreshing summer drink. It is Ooh, called a Honey Ricky. Ooh, I know. I've never heard of it before. But fun fact that I did an interview with a German Rottweiler enthusiast. And in preparation <laughs> for that show, I ordered... Uh, what is it called? Oh my gosh. It's a honey liqueur from Germany. I can't even, I'm like blanking on the name, but now I have this big bottle of this yeah. honey liqueur <laughs> and now I have to make cocktails with it. So I yeah. used it. It's beer and go- I, wait, what is it called? Beer and beer and something. Oh my gosh. I have to, I have to look it up, but yeah. beer and Jaeger. That's what it is. It's beer and Jaeger. Okay. That's and it. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's honey 
honey fermented honey basically that used to be used to draw like bears out from like their caves and then oh the, the hunters now started like drinking it i wonder if dave knows about that since he's a wildlife biologist he may wow <laughs> that sounds delicious though i have it a is. favorite beer that's a honey ginger lime beer and so that sounds like it would fit right in with that oh my that's gosh that sounds like that sounds like right up my alley. Honey ginger lime is like my favorite kombucha. So like for sure, oh, yes. I, need, I need some beer in my life with the same flavors. Definitely. All right. So we could talk about booze all day. It sounds oh, like, yeah, I mean, and <laughs> for anybody watching, I already checked with Elise to make sure she's over 21. She does look quite young and she might be <laughs> the youngest guest I've had on the show, but she is more than legally allowed to drink. I won't give her age away, but she is a professional <laughs> grown woman woman and can drink. I know she looks very young. <laughs> super, super excited to have you on the show. Okay. So yeah. the first game, because I love dog training. I'm not a dog trainer, but I have done my fair share of studying dog training, dog behavior. Yeah. And maybe I will one day become a dog trainer, but always worth it. Yes. There's always a possibility for future things, right? So the yeah. first game we're playing today is called, is it positive reinforcement? Okay. All right. And I'm going to tell you some things that are used in dog training, and you're going to tell me if it is or is not positive reinforcement. And can you quickly, for anybody watching who doesn't really understand what positive reinforcement-based training is, can you quickly explain? Absolutely. So positive reinforcement training is all about encouraging dogs to do the behaviors that we like by using things that they like as rewards. So instead of focusing on the things that we don't want, we always ask our question, okay, what is it that I do want my dog to do? And we try to redirect or help enforce that using mostly treats, sometimes toys, but mostly treats. <laughs> awesome. Very succinct. I like that very yeah. much. So that brings me to the first question of this game. Is it positive reinforcement or really is it plus R? Because that's what the acronym is for yeah, positive yeah. reinforcement. So the first one is, is using the word no positive reinforcement? I go with no. <laughs> no, that is not positive reinforcement. Why not? Uh, so because in that moment, your dog doesn't know what you want. And so you're saying, no, don't do that. But they don't know what you're doing. So that's a punishment. You know what's funny about that is I am a parent yeah. to a very, very spirited, almost four-year-old and I've also learned in parenting for humans that yes. you tell them what you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do. Yes. And no, it's kind of just like leaves them with a, I can't do that, but what can I do, right? Exactly. You're asking for a different behavior, but they get to choose the behavior. And sometimes that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Especially Very good point. Old. Don't hit your sister. <laughs> yeah, like if, if I say don't hit your sister, maybe he'll bite, right? So like, yeah, that's not good. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, next one. Prong and choke collars, are they positive reinforcement? Definitely not. No, those are painful punishments. Stay far away from those. Yeah. Truth, truth, <laughs> truth. Okay, next one. Electric fences. No, not positive at all. <laughs> not positive and not safe either because they really don't prevent dogs from getting through them. They just prevent dogs from coming back in. <laughs> exactly. It causes more confusion than it does anything else. Very true. Okay. Clicker training. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is there a way that you can make clicker training negative? Like, or do people ever sure. misuse clicker training? 
Yeah, well, so it's tricky because on the scale of things, the negative isn't necessarily a big one. But for example, the dog that I live with was actually afraid of the clicker the first few times we tried it. So every time we made that noise, it actually scared her. And we had to back off. It was like, okay, she's not ready for it. We're not, we're not going to do that. And, and sometimes, you know, people will use them to get their dog's attention, but they get frustrated and it's like click, 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 click in your face. Nobody likes that. So, yeah. So that's where it can be a negative thing, but you've got to condition it. You've got to make that click mean something and that's how you can make it positive. Awesome. Okay. Next one. And I know we're going to talk about this one at length at this in the second part of the show, but is right. using a spray bottle as a deterrent positive uh. reinforcement? No, a lot of people think it's pretty benign, but some dogs can have a bigger reaction to it. And so, no, it's definitely not positive. Truth, truth, truth. All right, last one. Giving a treat every time a scary stimulus or something that scares them, if you're not familiar with stimulus, appears. Yes, yes, that's a positive reinforcement technique. And we actually use that a lot. That's called counter conditioning. And it can help a lot of dogs learn that the scary thing isn't quite as scary. Exactly. And actually, before we move on, there's a lot of controversy between counter conditioning when it comes yeah. to like storms and like noise phobia. Right. right, right, right. What is your stance? Should we sit with them and give them treats while they're scared of the storm? Or does that make them think that we yeah. want them to be scared of the storm? <laughs> well, so I think generally when I try to train, I try to keep the dogs under threshold. So below the point where they're actually nervous and scared. And so I think there are ways that you can absolutely work up to the point that giving them treats during a storm would be a positive thing. But I think if your dog is terrified of the storm and hiding from the storm, trying to give them treats in that moment might just be too much because I never like to train when they're just like, ah, yeah. so I definitely, yes and no to answer your question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it has to be at the right moment. And a lot of dogs that are over threshold won't even take treats at that point. So exactly, you're almost like exactly. at a loss at that point. All right. Yeah. Well, I want to learn more about you specifically. So definitely. I understand that you started your business because of COVID. While most people are shutting their businesses down, <laughs> like me, you started yeah. a business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oof. Yeah, it was a little scary, uh, for sure. It definitely didn't seem like the prime time to do it. But actually, I was pretty fortunate that dog training is in much higher demand now because everybody got their COVID puppies. And so it, it just kind of worked out really nicely. I had been working at a local service dog organization as a trainer. And when COVID hit, they actually did some layoffs. And I was one of the, the few that got laid off, unfortunately. So I ended up, uh, I was like, okay, this is the time. I'd been waiting for a moment to kind of jump into starting my own business. And it was like, okay, well, I've got nothing else. So let's do it. And so I started mostly with virtual clients. I had about 10 different virtual clients that I started with. And we did that for several months. And then once things loosened up a little bit, I did some in-person clients and then eventually started group classes, which are now going pretty strong. That's amazing. So I have to tell you that you told me what your age is before we started recording. And I was your age when I started my business, the Wack Pack. Oh my gosh. And That's amazing. COVID, yeah, COVID shut us down. Oh. But um, that was because of 
because we're pet sitting dog walking in Northern Virginia, where everybody was a government employee or contractor and people are still oh. not back at work. So I wasn't going to yeah, maintain a business. Yeah. I mean, everybody's still home. So, um, yeah. I wasn't going to maintain a business for a year, which I knew like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm an entrepreneur and I knew that this was going to be a long, uh, a long thing. And since I'm not in Northern Virginia, I actually live in El Paso. I couldn't refocus my business. Like, like what you did. If I had been there, I probably would have just started dog training myself too. So bravo right. to you for Thank creating you. something in a kind of a crappy situation. So bravo. Yeah. I really, I really love to see young women taking the bull by the horns, so to speak. And like, yeah, and doing something awesome. Okay. So tell me how has COVID made you start a business a little bit differently? You alluded to your group trainings now. Um, so tell us a little bit about how that's transitioned from completely virtual were were people like willing to do training virtually first of all and then oh, yeah. how are people embracing everything else definitely so i was actually really lucky because i had been a dog trainer in the portland area i live in southern oregon now and so portland is up north and so i had a lot of friends who have either gotten dogs during covid or had dogs prior and had always kind of asked me for a little bit of advice. And so when I started my business, they were like, Oh, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. And so I was really lucky to have the support system that I had to kind of start that way. And then I started to add in new people and more people. And so that was really exciting. And then, of course, with the COVID situation, a lot of the dogs that were adopted weren't getting a lot of socialization or the people that adopted the dogs didn't necessarily have the resources that they needed to train the dogs or get the consultations. And so being able to work virtually actually helped a lot with that because I could see the dogs in their natural environment in the homes without a new person coming in that might actually scare them more or make them more nervous and see kind of how they process things. But I will say that especially for behavior issues, in-person training is optimal. I find it much easier and being a dog trainer, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So being able to be there and be like, wait, let's, let's try this. Let's try that is a little bit easier for me. But I definitely the virtual clients have been really nice and really fun to work with. And then so then I started the in person classes. And so I began with individual lessons, just one on one. And I work out of local parks. There's lots of parks around here. And so we just choose a park or we work in a person's backyard, always outside. And we meet up and we, you know, wearing masks and keeping a distance. And then we just kind of work through the things that we can. I'm really fortunate that I have a park just nearby that is the, the perfect dog training park. It has paths that people stay on with their dogs. So you can see the dogs, but you're not inundated with dogs. Um, and then once my individual classes started to wrap up and the COVID restrictions lifted a little bit, I was able to kind of go, oh, you know, this dog would work really well working with this dog. And so I could make my group classes that way. And then once things let up even more, I was like, okay, let's advertise this and actually build up those classes a bit more. That is so awesome because one of the things that we talk about most in this show on the show with dog trainers is socialization. Socialization is like the one thing that constantly comes up and not just with puppies. Obviously there's a puppy window where socialization is super, super important, but like for every dog. And I will tell you, my little girl was a COVID baby. She was born in February of last year. So oh for gosh. the first, like, eight months of her life, she looked at other people and she was like, there's more of them. Like she had no idea. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> now we do more things with her. We go to the park with her brother who takes soccer. And now she's uh, one of our friends at the park was like, she has just come out of her shell in the past two weeks. Yes. And I think the same thing happens with dogs where they're kind of just like, sure. who are all these people? And then like, they kind of take a liking to it. Like, this is so yeah. fun. Because <laughs> being at home all the time is not fun for a dog. Right. No. Well, and there's so many smells and so many things. Like once they get out there, they're like, well, this is kind of cool. <laughs> For sure. So you started your dog training um, experience at, where is it? PetSmart? Petco? Petco. Petco. So tell me about that experience. How was that? <laughs> you know, it was actually a very positive experience. I enjoyed it a lot. I had been I actually raised guide dogs for the blind when I was in high school. So I had an introduction to training going into the experience, but Petco was the first actual like structured, you're going to be a trainer sort of training experience that I had. And I have to give them a lot of credit. They, you know, they have small groups where they have an experienced trainer that takes four apprentices under their wing trains them, gives them lots of advice. And it's, it's a full course. I think it went for three months or something like that. Once a week, we would go and we would do these long training sessions. And, and so I learned a lot through that experience. And they, you know, they're very into positive reinforcement training, which I, I find very refreshing, because it, it's very easy to, you know, go where the profits are, whatever it is. And sometimes that's not always the right way to go. And so, but I was really happy I worked in a small store. They have smaller, they have like the big pet co's and then they have the unleashed pet co's. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the unleashed pet co, which was really nice because it was a small store. I didn't have to worry about handling other animals or anything like that. It's just apparel and food and baths. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I really got to experience how to train. Really, I say you're training people more than you're training dogs, <laughs> but it really was a great experience for me because you got to, you saw hundreds and hundreds of dogs. You interacted with all sorts of different types of dogs and dogs with different personalities. And you got to really get, run the gamut of all of the different issues that dogs have too. Well, I have to give a shout out to a Petco because they did put their money where their mouth was when they took the shock collars off of their shelves. Yes. Yeah. They've been doing great things. They also did um, a couple years back, they got rid of a bunch of food that was filled with fake dyes and high sugar content. And they weeded those out of their stores as well. So I was very impressed with that. That is awesome. So when you were doing dog training as an apprentice at Petco, did you see yourself as a business owner? Yes and no. <laughs> I was also at the same time that I was working as a trainer, I was also as a working as a dog sitter, uh, dog walker. And Petco does have rules where if you're a trainer in store, you can't train outside of the store. So I was, which was understandable. I mean, it makes sense to me. They're paying for your training. So yeah, it makes right, sense. Exactly. And, and if you're going to use your name at the store as a trainer, they want to make sure that it's, you know, watched, sanctioned, all that stuff. True. And so so I was a little frustrated because at a certain point, I, you know, I felt like I had grown beyond the store a bit and was ready to kind of go out and do more. But there's a contract that you sign that says, you know, I'm not going to, you have to wait six months after you're done working at Petco before you can start your own business. Got it. And six months is a very long time to go without either a steady paycheck 
or without that, you know, you don't really necessarily want to go to a new job and then start another new job. Right. And you want to practice your skills. Exactly. So I found this great organization uh, down here that I I was really excited about working with uh, the trained service dogs. And I found that to be my avenue. And so then when life was like, nope, that's not going to work out. It was actually like, okay, well, now I get to do that thing that I always wanted to do, which is open in my own business. Oh, so exciting. I love it. I'm inspired by this story. This is awesome. Well, I want to ask you more questions, but we need to take a break real quick. So let's take a quick break and we'll come right back after these messages from our sponsors. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and I am having a drink and a chat today with a young woman that is inspiring. I really am inspired by your story. Live-handed her lemons. She made some, she made some uh, an iced tea, a hard iced tea drink, and she started her own business. Yes. And I am super inspired because you took your passion. It sounds like you've been dog training since you were a teen. And now you have come full circle with your own business and who knows where, uh, you know, what life has in store for you from here on out. And I want to dig in a little bit more into your expertise because I mean, you really are young, but you have a lot of experience. And I love to see people who from a young age knew what they were passionate about and pursued it. So our second game today is called pet peeves. And I'm going to ask you to be honest and to just lay it out all on the table. I am going to ask you to tell me what your pet peeves are in terms of these groups. I'm going to give you a group of people, pets, whatever. And you're going to tell me if, if you have pet peeves about these specific groups. So the first one is new and inexperienced pet parents. What is your pet peeve? I think my biggest pet peeve is when people don't research or think about the dog that they're getting and whether it will fit their lifestyle. I think that's my biggest bit of bit of advice is always do that research. You know, I think new and inexperienced pet parents don't know how much they don't know, right? Yes. But they're like, oh, I had, I had a dog when I was a kid. Like, it's how could yeah. it be different? It's entirely different. Having a dog today <laughs> versus having a dog in the 80s, totally different. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. You need to do some research, guys. All right. Next one. What is your pet peeve in terms of the dog training community? I think my biggest pet peeve with the dog training community is the fact that there's not really a lot of regulation. And so just about anybody can go out their front door and say, hey, I'm a dog trainer. And 
there's no real way to say, no, you're not actually a dog trainer. And so another bit of advice there, I guess, is do your research in your trainers and make sure that you're choosing someone who has the best interest of your animal in mind. Yes, please do. I am somebody that in 2007, 2008, I hired a dog trainer that destroyed my dog. And I will tell you right now, destroyed my dog. It made my dog a fearful, reactive, distrusting dog. And I will forever regret endorsing that and bringing that into her life because I didn't know any better. Well, and that's the other thing is just like you said, they don't know what they don't know. And if you don't know, you don't know what you're looking for. So ask questions. Yes. And you know what? Be careful with your neighbor's recommendation because this trainer was super popular in my yeah. in my area and he, and he was very successful and he was very convincing and he was very on time and dedicated and responsible and his techniques were really damaging and, and maybe another dog would have taken better to them but my socks was a very sensitive dog and she had been through a lot already so it really damaged her so it's it's i don't think people and we're going to talk about that that's why i invited you on the show but we need to talk about the the consequences that people aren't aware of for sure definitely for sure. Okay, before we do that, what is your pet peeve in terms of trainers that are not positive based? Ooh, I would say the way that they try to frame it like it is a positive. That that one just drives me up the wall. Oftentimes you'll read their websites and they'll say things like, this is how mother nature intends or, you know, your dog is clearly responding to it because we can get a fix in a day. And it's like, if your dog is dealing with real serious behavioral problems or emotional problems, you're not going to see a fix that quickly. It's like if you are having a serious fear of something, you're not going to get over it in a day because somebody said to, hey, back up, you know, That's so. True. Good analogy for sure. All right. So let's go to experienced dog owners. What is your pet peeve? Ooh, that's a good one. You know, I would say experienced dog owners, and it depends, but a lot of times they think they know it all, so they know what's best for your dog. Whereas you live with your dog, you own your dog, you work with your dog, you know what's best for your dog. And so uh, you have to take what they say with a grain of salt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, unless they are professionals that you're paying, like take yeah. everybody's <laughs> opinions with a grain of salt. I mean, I always tell my clients, if you have questions, question me because that's that's important. Do your own reading. Come to me with more stuff because I'm always learning too. I don't know everything. Absolutely. Anything in the pet world, and we ta I talked about this in many of my interviews, anything in the pet world is science-based and science is constantly evolving. Always, always. So <laughs> you have to keep up and so do the professionals you're working with. Okay, last one. What is your pet peeve when it comes to dogs themselves? Ooh, you know, I'm probably going to get some hate for this, but I I am not a big fan of dogs licking my face. <laughs> I don't. It's just a personal preference. I like licking is fine in general. I'm I'm not big on the lick lick lick, but licking my face is one that I'm just like, ah. <laughs> yes, we have to teach our dogs boundaries the same way you expect my child to have boundaries. I expect your dog to have boundaries, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so have you always worked? So you briefly talked about raising service dogs for the blind. Yes, so did you use positive based techniques at that you time? Know, 
So the interesting thing about that was when I started, so I started raising guide dogs when I was, I want to say 13. And the first dog that we raised was purely punishment based training. So it was lots of correction, training collars, choke chains, things like that. And it was hard because you had a tiny puppy and they were telling you to correct it. And, you know, it was one of those things where you hear the, well, this is how their mother corrected them and things like that. And it was hard because it was like, well, yeah, the dog is not doing that behavior now, but it's also doing these other behaviors that aren't so great. But after the first dog that we raised, our second dog was actually part of a trial uh, through the organization that was strictly clicker training. And so we got our puppy and the first day they took us out and they were like, this is a clicker. This is how you use it. Let's try it out. And so that one was really cool because I got I got very stark contrast just within a year and a half working with the dogs and the dog that was clicker trained. He didn't make it as a guide dog, but he was our family dog for years and he was the best dog in the world. And so I was a big fan of the clicker training. It was like, okay, I see how this works. It makes sense. And it's great. That is so cool. So did your parents like do this for fun or are your dog or your parents dog <laughs> trainers? How does that how, no. how does that even happen? <laughs> yeah, well so I was um I got into dog training very early. I was like watching Animal Planet as a kid and I heard about clicker training and I actually took we had a 11-year-old dog, I think at the time, who I trained with a bell instead of a clicker. So I had this old bell from the Statue of Liberty or something. And um, so I trained her using a bell, using treats to do different tricks. And I actually entered my middle school eighth grade talent show with my best friend. We did agility with our dogs to who let the dogs out on stage. And I was so, so excited by it. Oh my God, I'm dying. This is like such a good story. Isn't that amazing? And so, so we did that and I was, I was like, I need a dog and I need to train it. So I put together a whole, I printed out every dog on like pet finder or whatever it was at that time. And I put together a whole presentation for my parents on why I should get my own dog. And they were like, you make some good points, but I don't know. And so they compromised by saying, okay, you can raise a puppy for guide dogs because when you're done training the dog, it goes away. <laughs> so if it's a terrible dog or whatever, they'll take it away from us <laughs> and, um, and you'll get the experience and the guidance to do it. And after we did the first one, a typical thing within the community of dog raisers is you when you bring the first one back, you get a puppy. So that way you don't miss the first dog quite as much. Okay. And so we were, we were hooked after the first one. How many did you raise? I say three and a half. <laughs> we did uh we did our first one, he made it about eight months and then he actually he tore his ACL. And he had to be career changed, which is a fancy way of saying he flunked the program. Yeah. Um, but he went on to live a very nice life in Washington, had a, a great family. Our second one was Paulson, who was, again, the great dog. He was the one that did the clicker training and he became our family dog. Our third one was Getty and he was ridiculous. He was just high energy, super excitable. We never thought he would make it, but he went on to be a guide dog. For years, saved his person within six months from being hit by a car. Yeah. And then we had one more that we started. But at that time, um, I went on to be in, on the equestrian team. And that was too big of a commitment. So we were like, okay, 
I don't think we have enough time for this. So she went and was raised by another family. Oh my gosh. This is so fascinating. So good. I love it. I love that your parents supported that, by the way. Like it's so hard to imagine my son coming to me in 10 years being like, I want to raise a puppy. But now that I've heard this story, I'm going to be a little more open to it for sure. Okay. So you have, you and I met on a Facebook group where you shared a scenario that really resonated with me Mm -hmm. because of the experience I had with socks and that harsh trainer that I worked with. Can you tell me a little, tell us a little bit about that situation? So your roommate, Dave has a dog named Sophie and she had a, she has a pretty bad trauma. She does. So Sophie was a rescue. We just rescued, or I should say he he just rescued her. <laughs> but you helped, uh, right? You I helped. know. We live together. I play with her all the time. So I, I say we, but he rescued her. Um, and she's a great little dog. Uh, but when she was um, in foster care, her fosters actually used a water spray bottle to punish her when she did anything. I think mostly jumping up on the counter was the big thing that they punished her for. And in the interviews where we, you know, talked about Sophie, they had mentioned this and I had kind of nudged Dave and I was like, that might be something that we need to look out for, but you know, we'll, we'll work through it. And so the first while that she was home, we knew, we realized that she, it was a very strong response she had. I think the first time I was just cleaning the kitchen sink with a spray bottle and she heard the sound and she kind of looked at me and she stopped and then she ran up our stairs, which is where her, her bedroom is upstairs. So then later on, Dave was actually sitting on the couch and Sophie's allowed on all the furniture. She's, uh, we call her the Billy goat because she likes to climb on everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's part, she's part cat. Then she likes to look out down on exactly. her territory. <laughs> exactly. So he was sitting on the couch next to her and he was opening, opening just a can of seltzer and it did a little And that little moment, a little bit of water just hit her in the face and she was done. She just jumped off the couch, ran up the stairs right into her kennel. And I heard Dave like calling for her and he kept calling and calling and she wasn't coming. And I was just going, what is that? So I come out and he says, she won't come downstairs. She's refusing to leave her kennel. And he explained what happened. And he's like, I think she's afraid of me now. And so I went over to her and she like came over to me and she was showing a lot of signs of appeasement, you know, wiggling up close, rubbing against you, licking and just like, I'm so sorry. And so I led her down the stairs. And when she got to the bottom of the stairs, Dave was there and she was like, she came up and did all sorts of appeasement gestures to him and she recovered, but it definitely took her a few minutes to be like, okay, I see you're not trying to punish me. It's all right. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, this is a training technique that has legs, uh, for lack of a better, I guess, uh, phrase to use. People use it kind of a bit and they use it for dogs and cats. The trainer will tell you that whatever undesirable behavior you see, whether it's counter surfing or sniffing or like maybe even digging, you have a bottle of water and some people actually tell you to mix in some vinegar in there, which is what my guy said. I hadn't heard that. Oof. Oh, that's, it's real cruel. It's real cruel because right. what if you get yeah. vinegar in their eye? Right. That's going to burn. Yeah. So you're supposed to spray them in the face, in the mouth is what I was told. Is that what you've heard too? In the mouth. Yeah. Right in the face. Yeah. Yeah. So that you can, 
discourage that behavior that you're observing. And the trainer that trained socks told me that they're, that dogs are really superstitious. So if that you should do it kind of like on the DL, like on the fly so that they don't see that you're spraying them, but they think that the counter sprayed them. So then they don't want to get near the counter. (laughs) Then people take it, right? Cause like it stops working when the counter sprays them. Then they start being like, I'm going to spray you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it becomes about the spray bottle. Yeah. Well, and they'll say, oh, I'm going to get the spray bottle. I've heard, I've had people tell me this. They're like, and they're very proud of it. They're like, it works all the time. Here's, I'm going to get the bottle if you don't stop. And then the dog stops and they're like, see, it works. Yeah. So I just want to make an analogy to child rearing. Like if you heard that I was spraying my son in the face with water or vinegar water, whenever he was rough with his sister, would you report me to CPS? Right. Right. It is so cruel and it's so abrupt and it's so disrespectful. I mean, it's, I mean, if as an adult, if somebody sprayed me in the face with something, I'd I'd call the cops. Like it's assault. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't, you're not allowed to just walk down the street and spray people with things. Like that's not a thing. Even if they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, you're not allowed to spray them. So what have you guys used to kind of recondition this? So, so we ran into an issue because she had, uh, she had her tail amputated before she was adopted. She got hit by a car in foster. I, it, yeah, but she, I'm trying really hard not to judge this foster situation. I'm I'm trying to be fair, two different foster homes. Okay. So she got out of both, both had different like drama. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But, uh, so she, um, she was licking and licking her tail. And so we got some medicated, uh, ointment spray that you can spray on her tail. So, but we didn't think about, okay, she's afraid of the spray bottle. Maybe this isn't a good idea. And so when we first pulled it out, she was like sniffing it and we're like, good. And we desensitized her to it. Just not being a thing, not spraying it by, you know, giving her lots of treats for checking it out. And we like practiced holding her so still so that we could spray it. But as soon as she figured out that it was a spray bottle, it was a whole new level of fear. And so it became the struggle because she kept licking her tail, but we you know wanted to help her. So we ended up um, eventually, I asked that question on the forum of like, what do we do now? And somebody was like, We'll just put it on a cotton ball and dab it on it. That worked beautifully. But for desensitizing her to other spray bottles, we've been practicing. We minimize the use of spray bottles in general. And we're much more aware of it now. Now we're, we pick up a bottle and we're like, oh, okay. All right. She's not in the room. It's fine. But when we're using them um, in her area, uh, we tend to use lots of treats. I usually do it when uh, Dave is working with her, training her a little bit and has some high value rewards. And so he can treat her for other things. And I can do a little gentle spritz around the sink or whatever I'm doing. And she's been doing much better. But I still I'm very careful that I don't, you know, pick up the bottle and walk towards her because that's, you know, she's like, okay, this is not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. So this, this makes me think of a couple things. Is she scared of water because of it? You know, no, no just water coming out of a bottle. Yeah. So she's not afraid of her bowl. She's not afraid. We've taken her to, there's like a little lake nearby and she's, she will check out the lake. But yeah, I don't think she's, 
I haven't noticed anything. How about like a bath, like the hose or like the shower? You know, so the bath that we use, we tend to, we fill up the bathtub a little bit and then we use a cup with water in it. Got it. And she does okay with that. It's not her favorite thing, but it, it tends to be the general, like, I don't really like having a bath. Not so much that, oh my gosh, this thing is going to kill me. Got it. I mean, in a grooming situation where they use like a faucet kind of thing, that might be like just as terrifying as a bottle for her. It's not very different. Um, and then another thing is, do you find that like now it's just management, like until you can desensitize her, it's going to be like a long time before you can just like spray Febreze. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Dave is a, he has a green thumb. So we have lots of plants that he generally likes to spritz and we have to kind of focus and be like, okay, we're thinking about this more so than just, all right, here's the squirt bottle. Here we go. Yeah. And so we took her to the vet a little bit ago for the tail and they gave us some medicated stuff for that again. And they were like, you know, we tried it and she did fine. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I totally believe you, um, but we'll <laughs> she see. did fine in terms of a scared dog at the vet. Right. Exactly. Like- <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, okay. So really quickly, this also makes me think of air horns. Ooh, Are those yeah. positive reinforcement or not positive reinforcement? No. No, not definitely not. Well, and there are a couple types, right? There's the ones that go beep, and then there's the ones that just go. Kh-. Both of them are terrible. No, <laughs> yeah, this is the same thing. It's like you're scaring this poor animal so that once they see anything that looks like a spray bottle or like your like bathroom cleaner bottle or whatever it is, they go into like a panic because they think you're going to assault them with it. It makes me feel bad. You know, like now I have stress reactions to using those things because I'm like, oh no, I'm going to traumatize our dog just by cleaning the sink. Ah, Yeah. So it's these little things that people paint as easy or quick fixes. And there's no such thing as quick fixes in dog training. No, you got to put in the effort. You got to put in the effort and the time. With all of my clients, I always say when they come to me with a behavior that they're like, "I, I hate this behavior. It drives me crazy. I go, okay, well, in that moment, what do you want them to do instead? And that's always where we go. And that tends to work pretty well for them. And so if anybody's having this issue, it is possible to, what is it, counter condition the behavior, but it just is going to take some time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you have to start slow and small. A lot of times as humans, you know, we are able to think through processes. So when we try to push ourselves, like if we're trying to I don't know, work on a project or something. We're like, okay, we are going to set this goal and we're going to reach this goal. But with dogs, they aren't having that thought process. So a lot of times progress doesn't really look like anything is happening. And that's good. That's what you want. You don't want them freaking out. You don't want them barking or being scared um, because that's not progress. That's fear. Yeah. It's true. Okay. So last question. And I'm actually really fascinated by the fact that you live with a wildlife biologist and you are a dog trainer. So what have you learned from Dave as a wildlife biologist? And what has he learned from you as a dog trainer with Sophie Ah, specifically? Yeah. Well, so Sophie is, let's see, I'll answer your first question first. So what I've learned from Dave, it's actually really interesting having a dog trainer and a wildlife biologist living together because we talk all the time about behavior and kind of like our own So like, if Sophie does something, I'll be like, this is what I'm seeing. And this is why I think she might be doing this. And he'll come back with, oh, well, I think she might be doing this because of this evolutionary trait, you know, and so it's just, it's a fun dialogue. 
But Dave is, Dave has a very interesting job. He works for the local Department of Fish and Wildlife and he radio collars deer. So his job is to actually like trap and tackle deer, collar them and then let them go. And so his life is much more exciting than mine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't know that we tackled them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that either until I met him. He said it one day and I was like, oh, that's funny. And he's like, no, that's actually what we do. <laughs> okay, so back to our game. Is that positive yeah. reinforcement or not? Ooh, not so much. <laughs> no. So the other option is to dart the deer, right. wait for them to, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of yeah, room for trauma. I don't think either that. option is a good one. So we do what no, we gotta do. No, <laughs> But so anyway, he, but he, uh, is very good at like pointing out really cool animals around here and things like that, or being like, oh, I wonder if she smells this because that lives around here or things like that. And oh, cool. that's pretty cool. He's also gotten really into teaching her to find elk and deer sheds, their antlers. And yeah. so he's been playing find it with her with those. And that's been really cool to watch. That's awesome. Nose work for a dog that has some fear and anxiety is so, yeah. so good and beneficial. And like, what does he do with those? He just like, does he like give her the antlers to like chew on or what? Uh, well, the antlers are probably a little too, too strong for her teeth. We do a lot of trading. So it's like, you know, he goes and he hides it. She goes and finds it. And then she brings it back and she gets a treat for it. And she loves oh. it. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. Okay. So I have to wrap up. Otherwise I'd talk to you all day. So tell us how can anybody in your area, please describe your area, how far you'll go for uh one-on-ones. Uh, tell us how our guests, our, our viewers and our audience can uh, find you. Yeah. So I am Rogue Valley Dog Training is the name of my business. And you can find me at roguevalleydogs.com. And I serve virtually. I serve anywhere in the U.S. I probably do beyond the US if that was an option uh, <laughs> worth exploring. But also I, for in-person lessons, I go anywhere from north to Grants Pass, south to Ashland, which is about an 80 mile range. Ooh, ooh that's, yeah, that's a I'm big right deal. In the middle, so it works really well. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, I am going to look forward to following you and your career. I see a lot Thank of a very good things ahead. Cheers to you for being on the show, for sharing your passion for uh, positive reinforcement training with me and yes. with our audience. Here's to you and all the good that's coming. Cheers to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Truly my pleasure. And here is to our executive producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. To our audience, uh, our viewers on YouTube and our listeners on Pet Life Radio, here's to a life covered in pet hair because there's no better way to live. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about covered in pet hair, please visit coveredinpethair.com or petliferadio.com. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.